Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to introduce my guest for this week's episode. It's a pretty meaningful one. It is Delon Nelson. He's the founder of DNI Fitness, which is the gym that I work out in. Um, and if you are a big fan of our show, you know that I talk about meeting people at the gym all the time. It's been an incredible place to connect with fascinating people. Um, and this podcast is also a sponsor of the gym's Turkey Trot. So if you are in the South Orange area on Thanksgiving, morning, you should most definitely participate. Um, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to be sitting with my guest today. His name is Delon Nelson. He's the founder of DNI Fitness. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Oh, thank you. I'm I, glad to be here. Um, this is a very meaningful conversation for me, and I feel like uh, we should have had it a long time ago. But um, our fans of the podcast know how influential the gym, your gym has been oh, wow. in um, building my business. Mm-hmm. And um, I've met so many really fascinating, interesting people. And I don't go there looking to network. You know, sure. I go there looking to work out. Sure. But um, I've met some really incredible people who have helped me get on the path that I'm on now. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Um, so I... Um, I know a lot about what the gym's done for me um, and what I was looking for when I found it, which was a sense of community in addition to my fitness. But I don't know a lot about you. Um, we get little snippets here and sure, there. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so this is the time. Like, all of your yeah. fans are going to be listening to this. All right. Um, okay, so let's take it way back chronologically. Like, where mm-hmm. did you grow up? Well, I was born in Georgetown, Guyana, South America. And um, most of my childhood was there. I migrated to the United States at age 14. The whole family did? Three people, my mm-hmm. mom, myself, and my brother. And we moved to uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. And that was a little bit of a culture shock. So you're 14 years old? 14 years old. Are you the oldest in the family? Yes. Mm-hmm. I have a brother. Uh, he's five years younger than I am. So um, as a teenager moving to the United States, specifically Brooklyn, New York, what was that like at the time? What were you thinking? Well, for me, I wanted to come to the United States of America. It's like the United States of America, you know, uh, all these lights and all these fun things to do. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's just everybody wants to be here. And, and I, was, I was that kid. I had friends that left to go to U.S. and to London and other places that, you know, people migrate to. But for me, it was this amazing thing, you know, that you, you see this place in, on TV and, and in movies and it's like, wow. You know, and yeah, not that I didn't love where I grew up. It was completely different. Things were a lot more simple. Um, uh, we 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 played outside. We played all day long. We played our friends, and you know, but it was more of a freedom that I experienced there that I didn't have when I came here, of just leaving the house and roaming and climbing trees and eating fruit and fresh fruit and swimming and all that stuff. But, you know, uh, again, nothing beats that glamour that you see on TV of what the United States is and, and, and what it provides for you. And we came here for a better way of life. Mm-hmm. So your mom wanted to come here for work reasons? Yes, and just to give us a better life. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandfather sent for us. He, he's since passed. Um, but he was the reason uh, we came here. He, he sent for my mom and my brother and, and you know, uh, we came here and got settled in Brooklyn. And, um, like I said, it was culture shock. Things were different. First of all, for me, it was way too cold. <laughs> I bet. 
And you, you guys know that, you know, first thing you hear, if I'm cold, I'm bundled up, you know. Um, so that was the first shock to my system, the, the temperature, because it was in January. Um, oh, wow. So you guys moved in January. Uh, yeah, that 1986, January, January 1986. And, and then from there, just, I just got acclimated. Would you remember what your first day of school was like in New York? Oh, my first day of school was terrifying. It, it was a big school. Um, uh, like I said, kids, kids, kids acted differently, not, not the way we did. I remember standing up in class when the teacher entered the room and said, good morning, and everybody else was sitting. So on your first day of school, that's what you did? That's what I did, because uh -huh. that's what you do when the teacher enters the classroom. You stand up and you say, hello, cause, I mean, hi, good morning, or whatever you say as a, as a group, and then she tells you to sit down. Um, but... I learned quickly that, that that wasn't the way things <laughs> things worked. But I also enjoyed the freedom too, right? Of not having to to do all that, though it was it was embedded in me. It was also okay not to have to stand for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it was this 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 again, that land of freedom, things are a little bit different. Um But that was high school, was that ninth that grade? That was high grade? school. That was high school. I didn't go to uh junior high school. My brother did since he's five years mm -hmm. younger. I went straight to ninth grade. Mm -hmm. But um uh, yeah, I was a little bit more, I had a little bit more, I don't want to say advanced, but I was a little bit ahead from our system in, in teaching, you know, math and English and all that stuff. So ninth grade was easy, 10th grade was easy, and, and then, you know, then you had to learn American literature and, and history and all that stuff. So that stuff was new to me, so I had to work a lot harder there. I know I was always college-bound. Uh, there were great programs in the school. I went to Prospect Heights High School. And I, I knew that's what I wanted for me was to go to college. And so that, from there I went to City College in New York to study engineering. So was fitness a part of your life at that time? Not at that time. I was always fit. I was always, I was always that kid that did everything and would, never mastered any of it, didn't really care about mastering it, just wanted to be involved with everything. Mm -hmm. I still have that attitude, but uh, when it comes to sports. Um, but... I went from Prospect Heights to CCNY to study engineering. And did you graduate from that program? I did not. I uh, switched during um, my third year. I realized this is not what I wanted. Um, I wasn't happy with my grades. You know, I had family, other family uncles that were engineers that were like, what are you going to do with a C? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing with a C, but uh, I'll figure it out. So I just needed to graduate because I worked and paid for school. Uh, my what, mom helped. What kind of, of jobs did you have? I had a great job. I had the best job in the world. I worked at Mount Sinai Hospital as a ward clerk, um, and I, I think that kind of molded my decision to get into the fitness business too. I realized that, you know, uh, I saw, you know, the doctors and the nurses and, and uh, the sick and the healthy around me, and just wanted to help. I took that job very seriously. Uh, I I pride myself in thinking I think I was the best darn clerk there was. What does that mean? You're like administrator of that floor? Yeah, I was the person that when you go to the hospital and there's someone behind the desk, the main desk, that directs you to where you need to go, or I answer the phone, I get in touch with the doctors, I help them prepare their bloods, I monitored the patient's chart to make sure that there was all the paperwork that was in there and stamped with the patient's name so things didn't get mixed up. Um, and when things were quiet, I was able to study. Then I was doing engineering and... Um, 
But then I switched to physical and health education. And that's where I think that's where I think I found my true love. But how did you even know that was a program? Like, right, you had family members who are engineers, so you probably thought you'd just be an engineer. Right. It was like, how can I get out of college quickly? Uh huh. Uh, I've been here. You know, again, it was a slower process for me because I did work and go to school, so I didn't take on the maximum workload. I was there for a couple of semesters, and finally, I was like, I, I got what? What else can I do? And that's where okay, the idea of a, a gym teacher. Our physical and health education teacher came to mind, and I switched. I had friends that were in engineering, and they were like, "What are you gonna? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you gonna? What are you gonna do with PE degree?" I go, "Well, I don't know, but watch me." And that's how the whole birth of this whole thing, where we are now, me in the fitness business and owning gyms and and helping people with their physical fitness, came about. Stemming back to just wanted to be a phys ed teacher. So you graduated, and then what happened? I graduated, and while I was at school, I started, I, I implemented a lot, couple of programs at uh, City College. I worked, I wanted to test myself while I was in school, see if, you know, this is what I really want. I figured out that I wanted to go the private sector route, not in the school system, and work with, with people on a one-on-one basis or in health club. Um, so I, in, you know, I worked with the faculty there, and just to, you know, and I, then I, I went over to Crunch Fitness. I taught at Yeshiva University as well for two years as a phys ed teacher. I, the well, fitness, I started their fitness and wellness program. Um, just to, wanted to build that resume up. Uh, I had to teach on Sundays, and that was different, you know, because on Saturdays there was, you know. Right, Shabbat. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, and then I, I worked at Paragon Sports after I left Mount Sinai Hospital. And that was another fun job for mm-hmm. me. I mean, I think it's the best sport and good shop in the world. Um, met people, and again, outdoor, back, backpacking, hiking, rock climbing, all that stuff. And then, the, you know, just the physicalness of, you know, the outdoors, the, the, uh, you, you see people coming to buy snowboards. I'm like, well, I want to learn how to snowboard. I want to learn how to do all this stuff. And Crunch Fitness was around the corner on um, University Place on 13th Street. I think that was their, that was their first location. And I'd always walk by and see this fist, like, what, what's crunch? What's that fist? And somebody says, you know, that's a gym. I said, that's a gym? I want, I want to be a trainer. Let me go look at that. Um, uh, I met a, a gentleman there who I still thank today for hiring me, Bob Becker. He, you know, I said, um, hey, you know, I'm book smart. I, I, I go to school and I study PE and physical health education, but I know nothing about these machines and how to train people. You mind taking me on? and have me work alongside a trainer for no pay so I can learn. I'm happy to help put weights back or whatever. And he said, well, you know, we really don't have such a program, but uh, let me give me a couple of days. And two days or a day or two later, a day later, I got a phone call. I said, listen, just the fact that you said you wanted to work for no pay and come in and shadow someone, I'm going to hire you. You just have to get certified. Um, and that's how I got started to crunch. So what was inside of you that thought, like, let me just walk through the door and say, I want to apprentice for no pay? Like, what was happening? That is, that is a great question for me because, uh, you know, again, after coming to the U.S., the United States of America here, I had a lot of fear. Fear of um, stepping out of my shell. Like, fear of being criticized, fear of the way I spoke, um, you name it. And one by one, I, I tried to knock that, those fears out. 
So walking in the door of Crunch was like, it was fearful. It was mm -hmm. like, well, I don't know, you know, what am I doing, you know? Here, I'm not a trainer. Here I am going to ask him for a job as a trainer. So that was part of like these mini steps, multiple steps that I've taken throughout the rest of my life mm -hmm. to overcome fear. So when I have these moments, like I get a visceral reaction, like I get like a little tingly in my wrist mm -hmm. and then it, like my chest tightens up. Yeah. Um, and my breathing gets more shallow, like sure. I can't get deep. Um, how, how do these moments, what do they feel like for you when you're when you're facing something fearful? Yeah, the same feeling as the, the fight or flight, right? And I, I tend to want to fight. So I, I go, what's the worst? I've learned to go, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I'll live, to, I'll be alive tomorrow. So, uh, you know, so I'm not going to die on doing this. So, so that mantra helps me get through, you know, stepping out of that comfort zone. And it worked out. I um, I have like a similar philosophy. I call it no regrets. Good. Like yeah. if I'm standing there and like I want to do something but I'm uncomfortable doing something, well then I really need to do it because if right. I don't do it, I'm going to regret not doing it. Right. Whether it was doing something uncomfortable, like having a difficult conversation or mm -hmm. something exciting but scary because it was new. Sure. Um, but I like, I mean, I'm 43 and I still have to do this. Like sure. I still have to like overcome these kind of like almost feel debilitating sometimes right, if you right, right. feel so overwhelming sure. it is even though the consequence could be nothing i mean it could be someone doesn't say hi or you know someone says no or right. whatever it is right the, the fear feels bigger than the actual reality sure and if you do it enough you realize that it becomes routine for you moving forward you know is it yeah, whatever the fear is You've done, you've put yourself in that situation so many other times and you're fine. So this one time, what makes this one different mm -hmm. than, than the rest? And you learn to start doing that repeti re repeatedly and, it, it, you know, you're still alive. And, and sometimes you go, wow, why was I so worked up? Right. You know, that wasn't so bad. All right. So you, um, you got a job at Crunch and you knew nothing about that business. Right. And, you know, like I said, quickly I, I, I got certified. Um, cause I, I had, I had the college degree and I was about to graduate and a few people took me in under their wings. Um, uh, there was this one woman that was, a, 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 a an Olympic prospect, a runner. She said, Delon, come, I'll teach you how to train women. You know, don't train women the way you train men. I'm like, okay. And you know, she showed me many different workouts and I pulled what I thought was good and that I could use and apply later on. And I had other friends that were into lifting, and I was and I was not a muscular guy, you know. I was lean and fit, but um, you know, part another fear was like, who's gonna want to train with me? I'm this little scrawny thing, and you know. And my a buddy of mine was like, well, you you need to stop running as much as you do because I enjoyed the cardio. I would get on the treadmill. He goes, you'd better start lifting some real weight. Oh, what do you mean real weight? And uh, buddy uh, Brian Maravilla, a friend of mine, put. 45 pound dumbbells in my hand. I, I remember them feeling so heavy because I've always lifted like 25 or 35. And the first 45, 50 pound dumbbell just felt like, wow. And I think from then on, I started lifting heavier weights and changed my body. And it felt comfortable using heavier weights with my clients, right? Because if you can do it, then you know it's easy for you to help other people to do it. And you realize if you want to build muscle, you got to lift heavy and eat right. And you know, I remember him saying, "You have to, and you have to eat as well." I eat already. No, what you think you eat is not, is not enough for the kind of muscle you're trying to build and the way you want to look. So I increased my, you know, my dietary intake, and within a couple of years, I I felt and looked the way I wanted to look, 
and you know very proud of it and you know then that, that fear of wondering who would want to train me became like wow you were fit you know you look good but, you know getting clients was not a problem so this was many years ago right many years many, many is it years like ago. 20 years ago 20 about 20 like 20 20 to 25 years ago so do you have relationships 20s. with anybody that you trained all the way oh, back I still then? I still have uh, you know clients yeah from back then wow I do I, I have a ton I trained people for about 15 years straight oh, wow. I have um, clients that when I met them, they were in their fifties, and now they're like, you know, they're late seventies. Um, I still treat them like they're still fifty. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a running joke. I, you know, we talk about a couple of my clients. Say, you know, every time they have a birthday, or I'm invited to an seventy-fifth birthday party or an eightieth birthday party, I'm like, well, you're still fifty-seven because that's when I met you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So, and, and by the way, I just, I, I loved working with clients 50 and up. They, they've taught me so much. They've, they've treated me well. They've treated me as a son. Um, and that, that, I'll always be thankful. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, I... I know that Muay Thai fits into this somewhere, but when did when did this happen? Well, Muay Thai, Muay Thai, I stumbled on Muay Thai, and um, back at Crunch, the, the Simon Burgess, who was my initial teacher, um, he would come to the gym because at Crunch, I, I was I became the training manager and I handled um, and dealt with the independent trainers. That 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 is trainers that work at a gym, but not necessarily they're not necessarily employed by mm -hmm. the gym. Mm -hmm. so There's a lot of freelancers in this. Freelancers, business, right? and mm -hmm. they pay the gym to run and operate their business out of it. And I would see this gentleman training a middle-aged woman. <laughs> I'm middle-aged now, I remember? But um, training her with this boxing style. You know, she'd kick and punch, and he'd have these these long pads. I didn't know now they're called. You know, we call them Muay Thai pads or Thai pads. And he'd use those things to train her, and I'd look and, okay, all right, fine, that's his thing. And then uh, I remember um, going to see some fights uh, at Church Street Boxing Gym in New York City. Uh, first time ever going to these things, and I was just blown away at the fact that the athletics, the, you know, the camaraderie at the end, you know, the preparation in the beginning and it just to, just the move that the energy in the crowd. And I'm like, I want to do that tomorrow. So I found Simon. So it was like an it was infectious. <laughs> totally, totally. And, and it was people from all walks of life. You had trainers, you had you had doctors, lawyers, you know, bankers, you had people with tattoos, you had people dressed in suits. It was just everybody just having, you know, come together, brought together. And I hooked up with Simon, and then I started training. I said, you know, I, I think I want to fight. And he says, okay, well, you have to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> so funny story. All that weight that I worked so hard to put on, <laughs> all right, I had to work to get off, but in the, in the right way. Mm -hmm. So I think when I met him, I weighed 190, and he said, okay, if you're going to fight, if you're going to fight at 190, there's a lot of power there. The guys that are fighting at 190 are probably above 200 pounds coming down to 190. So you need to work your way back down to be strong and be competitive. So I said, well, what, what's that number? He said, one, number 160. I'm like, what? No. He goes, well, you know, training and, and, and hard work will get you there. And slowly but surely, hard training. And my first fight, I fought at 160. 
So when you saw Simon with the pads, you didn't know what Muay Thai was? I didn't know. Uh, no, never heard of it. Never never knew what it was. I figured it was kickboxing. Right. And yeah, then when you went to Church Street to watch the fights, was that Muay Thai? That was Muay Thai uh -huh. fights, yes. Uh -huh. So you got to see it in action. You got to see it in action. And I was like, you know, now today it's just... It's around the world, it's widespread. Back then, not too many people knew about it in the United States. The, the guys that knew about it probably traveled to Thailand mm -hmm. to train, you know. Um, and what is Muay Thai? Muay Thai is it's a form of martial arts that uh, from, from Thailand. It's called the Art of Eight Limbs, where we use our hands, our elbows, our, our knees, our, and our feet to uh, strike. Okay, so the difference between boxing and that is boxing, you're only using your hands. Hands, okay. yeah. And, and, and Thai boxing, we can knee and we can, we can kick. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, um, I would think that you have to get like a little bit obsessed to want to do this, right? To get in the ring? Yes, it, it takes a different person to want to fight, right? And there's that fear thing again mm -hmm. for me. It's like, okay, all right, if, again, that's scary, but... That girl just did it. That woman just did it. That man just did it. And, and they walking out fine. And mm -hmm. I've met a few of them for drinks after their fight. And <laughs> what's the big deal? <laughs> right? They are living and they're not dead. And if I do it, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to die. So that's where that comes from. And just, just the way they look, their bodies, right? Um, and it, it was something that I knew I wanted to try. Mm -hmm. so. And how long did it take you to, from the moment you started training to actually have your first fight? About a year. Mm -hmm. It took about a year. So at your gym, people move through that, that process faster. I mean, like, some uh, people yes, went to no, in terms of, uh, uh, no, no, not necessarily. The ones that I do, because for me, you have, and for all teachers and masters or people that are teaching, we would never, ever put someone in the ring unless we think they're absolutely uh -huh. prepared. So maybe it feels faster it to me. It feels, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Because, you, you know, uh, you might not know the start date of right. that, that, That's true. You know, that individual. But most of the time, if, if we are going to help someone facilitate their dream of having a fight or a first fight or many, um, there's preparation involved. Right. And, and at, any, at no point, uh, it's be reckless to go try this stuff, you know, on a competitive level if you're not prepared. Right. And um, so you had a fight, but, like, that doesn't make you, like, a trainer. That makes you a participant, right? A, a right, yeah. Not all, I, I laugh because I, I think I'm a really good trainer and I'm a okay fighter. Uh-huh. Right? So just because you're a good fighter doesn't mean you're a good trainer. Right. I know a lot of good fighters that are horrible trainers and a lot of good trainers that are terrible fighters. Right. So I'm an okay fighter. I can defend myself really well. Um, but when it comes to training Muay Thai, I've, again, I, I've, I consider myself to be pretty good at it. And I, I think I, it's funny because it's all this whole cycle, right? For me, training and Muay Thai and all that stuff, I take all the way back to my engineering years, right? I understand angles. I understand mm -hmm. body mechanics. And, you know, for my PE, I understand the human body. I understand physiology. So it, it, it's all easy for me. Um, so when you started to really get um, focused on having your first fight. Did you know that this is something that you're going to do and teach? Like, were you like, oh, I'm going to learn this so I can teach this? Or was it just like your physical outlet? Well, I when, when after the moment I started learning how to teach Muay Thai, I started teaching Muay Thai, right? So I took everything I learned and quickly, as fast as I could, figured out which clients wanted to give it a mm -hmm. shot. Or to incorporate it into my training, right? I always, always, for me, I always want to be different than the next guy. I always want to be ahead of the next guy. So 
at that time, like I mentioned, Muay Thai, not too many people knew it. Mm -hmm. Like, And the ones that didn't know it, we all kind of knew each other in Manhattan, um, in, in the city that is. So once I learned and I thought I was proficient enough at, at teaching it, I immediately started using it with my clients, mm -hmm. and, and they loved it. And were you like, did you go to Thailand? Like, you know, what, Thailand happened way later. Thailand happened later. Um, because, again, as I got better and better at teaching Muay Thai, um, and then realized, okay, I'm not going to be a professional fighter. I have no interest in becoming uh -huh. a professional fighter. Things, you know, different things. And then my business as a personal trainer was taken off, so mm -hmm. I didn't have the time to invest to be, to fight more. Mm -hmm. All right? So... I wanted to test myself. I did that a couple of times, and then after that, I, I wanted to focus on one day owning a Muay Thai gym and incorporating it with my personal training, mm -hmm. my, my teaching. So Thailand happened after uh, another friend of mine came back, and he was just out of his mind with excitement about meeting Master Tati, who was initially in Las Vegas teaching there. And, and he said, you have to go. Like, it's changed my life. It's helped my business. And excuse me, and I'm like, okay, so where do I go see him? Unfortunately, he's no longer here. He's in Thailand. I'm like, well, I'm gonna go to Thailand, and that's how I ended up going to Thailand. Mm -hmm. And is that a hard process to like be able to train with a master trainer? Like, no, I wasn't. I had the connection. Uh -huh. You know, Rob hooked me up with um, the, the connection, and I made the call and the email and set the date and got on the flight. Uh huh. You know, and coming in, uh, the level that I was coming in, I was able to go and achieve what, what we call the crew status training. So as opposed to just an, a lower level training. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so let's fast forward because, um, you know, beyond being a Muay Thai expert, you're an entrepreneur, right? right. You own your own business now as multiple gyms. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to tell you what I was looking for when I found DNI because yes. it continues to be like, like so significant in my life. I felt so disconnected. Um, and I was really longing for a sense of community. So sure. like we live in a town that has a great sense of community, which I was beginning to develop after I moved here. Um, and I was feeling like part of a community with the kids in their school and stuff like that. But it, like there was a missing link here for me through mm -hmm. fitness. And um, I found it at DNI. Like I'm, I will get emotional about this because okay. it's like um, I was a person who like never really felt comfortable anywhere. Like okay. I could fake my way through it, but I really right. in like my heart didn't feel comfortable. Right. Um, and I felt very comfortable very quickly um, at DNI, and maybe that's why it's been so incredible for me to be there and meet new people and right. you know, build new relationships. But there's some sort of like magic that's happening there mm -hmm. that I haven't experienced in other places. Like, what what is the philosophy of DNI, and why is it having that effect on me? Wow, you're gonna make me get emotional. And it's great to hear you say that. We we love we love you and love having you there. And exactly what you're saying is what I wanted my gym to feel like. I didn't, I didn't want it to feel like just another gym. All right, so one of the other reasons I got out of the big sector, it, it was, you know, it, it, it just became more, what are the numbers? What are we making? Mm -hmm. It was about the money. And fair, fair enough, that, that's fine. I wanted to be about the client. I wanted to be about, you know, how can I make them happy? The pay will come. The pay will come, and um, and and two things is it's uh, build it and they will come. Build it and they will come is what somebody said to me, and I I, I, I live by that. Fields of dreams, I think. Right, 
Right. If you build it, they will come. Or if you build like it, they will come. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So moving out to New Jersey now, when I left Manhattan and came out here, I started this little gym, our first studio, a thousand square feet, and I wanted it to be this Muay Thai gym, right? But Muay Thai alone is not going to cut it. It's not going to. It's not. And not everybody wants to do Muay Thai. So, what else can I do when I'm out here in South Orange that can, you know? bring people in the door besides Muay Thai. But Muay Thai had to be there. I, my wife and I are like, okay, honey, it has to be, like, if there's no Muay Thai, I'm not coming out to Jersey, you know? So, um... So you were living here, you moved the family here? I was here. living here and commuting uh -huh. to Manhattan, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but early morning drive, so... Wait, so like 3 a.m. you're leaving the house? No, more like uh, I started at 6. Oh, now uh -huh. out here we start at 5. Uh -huh. I started at 6, so, but I had to be in the car 5. I knew if I was in the car late in the 529, right. I was late. Right, right. So <laughs> whatever I did, I had to be ready at, in that car at 529, and I'd be in the city for 6. But, um, yeah, so... That's where conditioning camp was born. It was it was a group fitness class that you know ten or more people can attend, and we can work through the body. Uh, I and my big thing was uh, how and how can I make it again different from everybody else and uh, and remove that boredom from from exercise, mm -hmm. right? So that's how our never the same um, philosophy came about for our, our slogan, never the same. So. Whenever you came to the to gym to take this conditioning camp class, I wanted it to be a mystery. You know, some places they do, well, this is leg day or this is back day or this is, you know, then you know if I go on Wednesday, I'm going to be working on my legs and my shoulders or whatever, whatever it is, or we're going to be doing cardio. No, I don't want you to know what you're working on when you come in, but we're going to work on something. But with that scenario, I had to make the next day, right, something different. But it had to play off the day before that we didn't overkill any body part or anything like that. So program design became a challenge, but I was up for that. Mm -hmm. And again, conditioning camp alongside with the Muay Thai, that's how our small gym started off. But, you know, we had, <clears throat> there are days when I had one person show up to class. And the first day I had five, I called Terry, my wife, and I was like, oh, he just had five Oh, that's class. so sweet. Like, no way. I'm like, yeah, there's five. But the transition between New York and New Jersey, I had a gentleman that helped me, you know, transition. He, he would work out here and do some of the classes while I tried to finish up. Uh, I had to put a finite date in Manhattan because mm -hmm. Manhattan was breaking up with like 50, like breaking up 50 relationships and having to deal, <laughs> deal with that. So I had to put, okay, guys, April 1st, I will no longer be working in the city. And it was very sad for me. It was hard to leave that business that I built for so long and just transition out to, like, again, the unknown right. out here in New Jersey. But that, How many years ago was that that you actually really said, I'm not training in New York anymore, I'm making the commitment to my So studio. it's about uh, eight to nine years okay. ago. Okay. It's not that eight, long ago. Not long ago. Mm -hmm. not, it seems longer because we've been out here, we've been embedded, but uh, it's not that long ago. But I had to say, you know, because I, I would have said, okay, one more month or... I had to put that cutoff date. Right. Did and you I, know that, like, the business couldn't flourish here if you were still ha in the city half the time? Yeah, because the thing about my business, when it's, you know, small business, like, it was it was me, right? It was mm -hmm. my personality. People coming for the lawn, right? Uh, now I've been able to duplicate me mm -hmm. and, and grow it bigger. But when you're, when you're a thousand square foot space, 
you know, or you've got your name and your reputation to work on from, you know, transitioning out to New Jersey, that's all you have, right? Who are we coming to? Who Who's this D&I person, right? So um, that transition, because I had to earn an income too, right? So that transition was made easy with having the guy here out in New Jersey help me cover the class and start the program here while I slowly wean out the seat. And then what was left in the seat, I, I offered to another trainer of mine to cover, and you know I paid him part of it, and eventually I said, you keep, you keep. Mm -hmm. And he took whatever was left in Manhattan, I stayed out here fully. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, there is like, I, there would be a fear moment of like, you know, can I really make it here? Can I make enough money to pay the bills and pay the rent? Um, am I making the right decision by leaving my clients in the city where I, I know how much money I'm making, right? Like, that's scary. Sure, sure. Well, I believed, I, well, for me, I believed in my product. I mm -hmm. believed in what I do. I believed in my personality. I believed in, and I saw that community that you're talking about. In Manhattan, I was on 57 Lexington. There's no community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's 57 Lexington. There's office buildings all around me. They, you know, people are coming to you to train and out. You're not doing anything else with New York, right. right? As a community, or Manhattan as a community, or Upper East Side as a community. You're just a trainer amounts like ten thousand other trainers, and we're all doing the same thing mm -hmm. out here. I felt small space, South Orange, Maplewood, the other surrounding towns. I can't fail. Right, I don't know, but I, I, I know I'm not going to fail. Mm -hmm. So that was my attitude. And though it took some time to build up, like I said, from one to two to mm -hmm. five, and then our first full class, and, and Marcus, who you all know and love right now, mm -hmm. um, was brought on board to, you know, he started off as a front desk person, but again, his personality as well. So it's, it's, it's that merger of personalities, right? And this, this grace town and community that we live in how how can it not feel like you know that the way you feel it because mm -hmm. you know we attract those people you guys are great you attract your friends and and that's how we got started and then i started to look just beyond being a gym how can we get involved in things around town mm -hmm. right how can we do things that are not just physical fitness inside right um so that's how um we started the turkey trot mm -hmm. Thanksgiving morning. Did you do the first one? Um, yeah, you know, I did it with the kids, and so they were littler then, so right. we walked it, but they right. complained, like, literally, like, the whole time, so we, like, bailed out because I couldn't even deal with the complaining. Was it, like, like our first or second Yeah, there were, like, like a, 15 it was, people, 25 people, Yeah, you, people? Yeah, we were in um, the park the in park. South Orange, yeah. Yes. So we, um, we didn't complete the turkey trot, but we attended the turkey trot. Right. And you remember how fun that was? I remember mm -hmm. leaving there and, because, uh, and... I don't know if we went back to work or uh, back to the gym or we were done for the, I think we were done for the day, but I remember leaving there with just this turkey trot that, you know, with 25 people standing in the freezing cold. I wasn't happy because I was super cold, but I was happy to be kicking this thing off. Um, and just with dogs and, and all that and, you know, and walking away saying next year, let's do this again. This mm -hmm. is so much fun, right? And you know, we're trying to get a thousand people. Oh, great! This well, year. we're proud to be a sponsor of I'm the so race. I'm so happy to have you guys. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thank and you this so episode is airing on the, the day before Thanksgiving, so right. people will be hearing this, and they could, if they're in town, can sign up. And Please just show up. sign up. Please sign up. We want to make this the biggest race on on Thanksgiving morning in New Jersey, and then we'll look at other. 
bit. So um, the last thing I want to talk about is um, entrepreneur to entrepreneur. I remember when you opened the the bigger studio. Was that two years already? Yes. Two years. Yes. And being like a little nervous, like you know, oh, you kidding me? <laughs> like I was nervous, nervous for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody around me was like, "What is he doing?" <laughs> so it's like beautiful, huge space yes. with a huge ring for fighting, yes. and um, it's beautiful and incredible, and the location's phenomenal. But that's a very, very intimidating sure. move. Sure. What was that? What were those conversations between you and your wife? Like, do we do this? Do we not do this? And why did you say yes to it? Again, you have the best questions. Let's take it back to just even starting a small space, right? That that that's for me. My dream has always been to own a gym, gyms, mm-hmm. you know, and and hopefully maybe even a who who knows a France, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when the small space started, it took off. Mm-hmm. You guys know it was hard to get classes, right. you know, and we had 12 people per class. And again, that, that's where the intimate part came in too, right? You didn't have a room of 40 people or one instructor that probably didn't know everybody. I know you all, right. you know, the other instructors know you all, but it became a point like, wow, we need a bigger space, but what are we going to do? Uh, and I stumbled on the big space I was having lunch with, with someone, and as I was walking out, a realtor that sold me my house. Talk about luck and, and timing, right? Half the time, that's what businesses mm-hmm. are built on, right? right. Luck and timing. Mm-hmm. Um, said, hey, Delon, I wanted to introduce someone. He introduced me to um, uh, a developer in town that was building this building that we're now in, this massive building in downtown South Orange. South Orange. Um, I said, hi, okay. And then he introduced me. He said, Delon owns D&I Fitness in town. He says, okay, uh, nice to meet you. But it's not a small talk. And I left. And my phone rang within two hours after that and said, okay, the person I just introduced you to wants to meet you. He wants a gym in, in his building. That's one of the things he's been, uh, he wants a gym in his building. I'm like, oh, okay, how the hell am I going to support <laughs> that kind of space? But let's talk, mm-hmm. right? Let's get out my comfort zone, out my fear zone. Let's Let's meet and talk about what you're looking for. And he showed me the plans for the building and the space. And initially, it was going to be 2,500 square feet. And we were in 1,000 square feet. So for me, it's like, OK, I can double this, the size of what we have. That's manageable. And I can continue to do what we do. And now we have this primary estate in downtown South Orange. And I don't know where the money is going to come from, but it will come from someplace. So let's talk, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right? So I, I guess most. I don't know, most business people, I, I, I don't want to assume, but they'll probably do it the other way around, get the money first and then figure right. it out. Or I don't know, I get <laughs> I get myself in there first and figure out the money later. And my other thing that, that, that drives me is like, don't ever be afraid to ask, mm-hmm. right? So whether you have to borrow the money or whatever, I've learned to ask, to borrow and, and all that stuff. And in a nutshell, that's how we came up with the rest of the money. I took all my savings and put it with money, money's borrowed. Mm-hmm. And we got that rent together, right? But it's way more than 2,500 square feet, isn't it? Right. So that's the small space. And then it became, well, for what you guys want to do, I think you need 3,500 square uh-huh. feet. And then, okay, so we got the architect, and I told him what I want to have in, in the space. And they're looking in the space, and they're trying to make it work with the things I must have, like my ring. Had to have my ring, mm-hmm. right? Had to that's do Muay dream, Thai. Right? That's the dream. And it all didn't flow. So then, okay, maybe we can squeeze out 4,000. Finally, we ended up at 5,000 square feet, which is way more than I anticipated having. 
but work out, worked out that I had to have that much to get done what I needed mm -hmm. to get done and the way mm -hmm. we want to do it with the athletes and the turf we have that there for sports training for the youth and, and adult athletes. And that's how we ended up with this bigger mm -hmm. space. Well, um, I, I love, you just mentioned youth, like my kids can take classes there. And I love that when I say I'm going to the gym, they know what I'm going to, right? Sure. Like they have a picture in their head of their own experience there. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I couldn't have done that, you know, at Equinox, right? Like Equinox right. would have been just for me only, right? right. So the fact right. that like my family gets to be part of this world sure. and then they have friends whose parents are part of the world, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, um, you really are embedded in this community now. It's yeah. really incredible. No, it's just, it's just a good feeling. And, and the kids, the kids, you know, I, I, like I said, I ran from the school and went into private sector to work with the adults. And it's like a full cycle right now, right? Mm -hmm. it's, I'm, I'm working with kids and adults, and the kids make me happy because, you know, especially when they, they work so hard. They work very hard. And then their parents tell me how, how well they're doing at home. Um, makes me happy. I see them in the street, and they, uh, they give me a big high five. Mm -hmm. and. So I, that's what I'm talking about. It's like not only the mom or the dad, I know the kids mm -hmm. as well. So, again, when I was in Manhattan, I would just see a client. Right. Uh, not that I wouldn't ask them about family life and all that stuff, but rarely ever would I ever meet the kids because their parents are here for work or they're going to work after. We're, we're not seeing. But when I walk around South Orange and I'm downtown and the whole family is around, I meet the grandparents and mm -hmm. who's in from out of town. It's a good feeling. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm oh, it's so my pleasure. excited. Thank you for having you. And thank you guys for sponsor, sponsoring our Turkey Trot. We really appreciate that. I'm happy to do that. And I'm just so excited that um, your other fans in town will get to hear this pod and learn sure. all about you because we only get little snippets, you know, here and there. Yeah, but before we go, definitely, I definitely want to talk about you. So you, I remember you walking into our gym and you had this air about you that was just so welcoming. So I don't, I don't think it's all D&I that invites and encourages people to want to talk to you and be your friend because it's just you with your caring personality and your, your, your inquisitive way that wants the inquisitive way of trying to find out about people and what they do that attracts them to you. So I don't want to take all the credit. I want to give it back to you. Well, thank you. You gave me a space to do this though, sure, you know, and sure. I've really created Appreciate meaningful that. relationships and I've become super strong. Yeah. Like I carry the laundry basket up the stairs and the huffing yeah. and puffing, you know. And you got a serious cross. So that, <laughs> I, anybody messing with this woman, she will knock you out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, our, our, our listeners will love your wisdom. Thank you for I sharing it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.